we are. We're live. Oh. <laughs> it never fails. It always catches us off guard, no matter what we're doing. Uh, it's episode six. Is there something special about the number six? I was just thinking like, you know, the number three, like everything in threes, does it mean that it's doubly good because it's twice the number three? <laughs> something. I wish we could, I wish we could say something like that, but it is special because today is our very first embodied business inspired brain guest interview. And we are here with one of the people I love most in the whole world, Gina Paluka. And Gina is um, so many things, but the reason we have her with us today is because she really is, you know, we say this thing, you embody a thing, right? You, you are the embodiment of, well, you are the embodiment of an embodied leader. And I have known you for, oh, Longer than you haven't. 30 years. <laughs> 30 years. I don't think I've ever said that out loud. Um, and I have in the last 10 years, I would say, specifically mm -hmm. really watched you embark and birth this beautiful embodied experience for yourself, both in your life and in your career. And Gina has been um, a... a the shining star at Google for how many years now? How long have you been there? Almost 16. Yeah, that's what I thought. I said 15 plus. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's been incredibly inspiring and I feel incredibly honored to have been a part of it and watched it happen and I continue to watch it unfold. And so Gina is here with us today to share a perspective that we were talking about in our last episode, which is the, the work that Anne and I are doing, you can think about it as a spectrum. And there are two, not, not finite, but there are two big entry points. And one of them is the entry point that Gina is going to share with us today, which is the leader, the builder, the creator, the entrepreneur, you know, whatever you are, and you sense that there is something more like you desire mm. to bring more of yourself to the experience you're having and the thing you're building and the team you're leading and the outreach you're doing, like whatever it is. And so I'm just really, really, really grateful that you're here with us today. Thank you. Yeah. We've already I'm had. really excited to be here. I know. It's so great. And you're coming to us uh, from New Orleans, which is your... <laughs> second home first home it's your your half half home <laughs> it's my, it's my soul home no question yeah yeah um so really excited to, oh hello pup that's boudreau um yes. <laughs> uh to see all your beautiful your music posters hi pup thank you yeah we usually Bark. have cats running around in the screen but <laughs> today we have today, today we have a bossy terrier yeah so we're going to just dive right in and welcome you into the fold. And we're going to do our real life riff. <laughs> Boudreaux has a lot to say. Um, we're going to, we're going to do our real life riff and we've invite, we've already debriefed Gina on this whole shenanigans thing that we do. So she's going to participate in our real life riff today. Um, and you want to get started say hi and get started with a little real life riff with, for us. Definitely. Well, today I am coming at you from my Pilates studio. I, would, I always have loved these burnt balls here. And I will this week working on um, really looking at Pilates and embodiment through a women's health perspective. And so I will be right after this, I'm going to be training my staff on um, really looking at the arc of a woman's life versus like these sort of apex points of like, oh, pregnancy, postpartum, but really looking at from the beginning of menses to, um, you know, menopause and beyond. And I think when you're able to, to look 
and experience and think about movement and embodiment and perception um, through that arc. Uh, It's like when I lean into this training with my teachers, I'm not so much interested that they learn X or Y movement. I'm really interested that they learn the mindset of what it means to step into supporting women within that way. And so that's where we're going to be diving deep into that. And um, that that was something I was able to put together rather quickly. So it was, it was, it's been quite fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you shared with all of our mentees this week that you put this training together in like 40 minutes and that, and that like, this is what happens when you get really good at designing transformative curriculum and you use it and you apply it to every in all aspects of the way that you assimilate and then distribute or share knowledge of any kind. And I, I thought that was really cool and inspiring. And I know a couple of our teachers even commented on how they were inspired by that, that that's a thing that's possible because most of them are still in the baby stages of learning how to do that. And it's, it's a lot of heavy lifting right now, right? Because they're, they're learning how to do it. So that is really, really cool. I think I'll just leave it with this. It's like the creativity that I feel that I can lean into and then share. It just feels so much more boundless than, than having the limits of, you know, a Cadillac, which is what I'm, what my computer is sitting on right now. <laughs> One of the uh, equipment pieces in the Fly Studio. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I don't know if we'll get to this, but it is reminding me, Gina, of our conversation the other night where you said you went to your previous, your past Pilates teacher's house to work on the reformer and just the exchange that you had with her about um, just really getting curious about your movement and. Anyway, I don't know if that will come up, but it's just a little drop in the hat in case it does. It was a really cool, um, a cool thing that I think our audience would appreciate, those of them who are Pilates teachers. Gina's a Pilates practitioner, so that's pretty cool. Um, what There is so much in process for me right now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know um, what to share. I, I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning and... It did not go back to sleep. I slept, I had like a nap at like 7 a.m. to like 8, which was, I think, maybe just a mistake. Um, but one thing I was really, I think, occupied by is um, this idea of shedding, of like shedding or releasing or letting go of and how it how it applies to our emotions. And yeah. Mark Nepo, oh my gosh, was such a great reading today. I actually recorded it and read it to Gina on WhatsApp this morning. Um, that there is, there is, it is, it is difficult when you are having deep emotional experiences to not do this thing that we are kind of taught to do, which is to like shove it down and compartmentalize it and say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But then sometimes the opposite end of that is like vomiting it all out and letting it impact everything so that everything is haywire and upside down and inside out. And it's like, where is the, where is the graceful middle of feeling, acknowledging, and just choosing like, to let go, like choosing. So I've really been thinking about some key emotional experiences I have on a repeated basis. Um, And I just, I was laying awake this morning thinking, I just, I don't want them anymore. I just don't want them. Like it wasn't like I'm refusing to experience them. It wasn't like, self-beratement, like I'm bad because I experienced them. But it was like this soft, like I am ready to no longer have this be my prevailing experience. I want to shed this. And and that doesn't happen, you know, in a moment at 3 a.m. awake in bed. But I really feel like it was powerful 
the acknowledgement of like, I can actually just decide that I don't want it to be the experience I have. So that's what's going on for me. And I've been up a long time with lots of coffee. So in any case, I'm also maybe just a little bit emotional, obviously. Oh, lots of process, a little bit of progress. As it were. Mm. All right, Gina, what about for you? What's in process or progress? Oh, there's so many threads I want to pull from what both of you shared. Thank you. <laughs> so many things in progress, lots of process. That's um, funny. I think I was just sort of taking in what you were sharing, Chantel, about this idea of shedding or letting go again just now. And there's this truth because there's like the socialized self, right? We, we all, we don't grieve well in this society. We don't emote well. And so we shove everything down. Often that's a coping strategy to compartmentalize. And what I find, I was having this conversation with my neighbor on the porch this morning. She had a loss yesterday and she was talking about how she shoved it down and got through her work day. And then she was sitting on the porch with me having her coffee and she's like, and then, you know, you're at the grocery store buying asparagus and all the asparagus looks crappy and you like get mad and cry in the middle of the Whole Foods. And it's like, yeah, because at a certain point, like a pressure valve, an escape hatch, something happens where you emote. And so what's the, what's the like generative way to metabolize grief or feelings? And how do you feel that pressure building in your body and honor it in a way that it sounds like you were doing this morning, not trying to push it away or, or with a lack of compassion, but just to actually kind of be with in sort of a softer way. And what does that, what space does that open up in your body for a different move? I don't know. I'm in a question around a lot of that. And especially in work, the, um, the shape I make or the habit I have is to like over effort and like take things on and hold them. And I have done that for forever because of mm safety as a kid, right? You do, you learn the things that keep you safe at home and then you take them. And often they are excellent. Like it's awesome that I'm an overachiever. It's gotten me a really beautiful career. And <laughs> the shadow side of that is sometimes like, I don't have to hold the whole world on my shoulders alone. And I have a mm. really brilliant team who wants to help. And so noticing that like squinty eyed, clenchy thing, <laughs> oh, what am I holding on to that perhaps I could make some space for others to carry with me and so that's just, I guess, a thread and also what's in process, some progress, lots of like, <laughs> I'm back around to that spot in the onion again. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to just acknowledge that it is actually a tremendous amount of progress from what I have experienced of your journey, um, mm. you know, in your professional life, not just at Google, but um, which I think brings us to like, let's enter into our conversation. And I'm just going to, I'm going to give you the floor for a moment, Gina, to say, introduce yourself <laughs> any way that you would like. Like, what else would you like our audience of driven, amazing creators, probably largely women? <laughs> mm -hmm. What would you like them to know about you before we really dig into some questions? Ooh, that's a wide open space. <laughs> um, first, that you have everything you need is the thing I want them to know. Like, it's everything you need to be what you want to be is inside you. I think it took me a really long time to accept that that were true for myself. And I can say it to my team and I can encourage the women I work with and the folks I mentor and the people that I coach that that's true. And, um, being okay with taking that in and honoring the truth of that in myself and inviting you all to do the same has been huge. And I think something you all were saying, maybe it was episode two, talking about um, the hat you wear as a practitioner, the embodied body working hat. And then you take that off because you've got to effort into your business and bring like mm -hmm. some masculine energy. And yes. what I have learned in the last 10 years is the best leadership moves are authentic and those moves come from when you bring the wholeness of yourself to the work. Mm. And largely in our culture, 
um, we're encouraged to be brains in a vat, right? Like little brains riding around in a car of a body, not really attending anything <laughs> below our eyeballs and, you know, efforting and shooting all over the place. And um, there was a moment in my career, probably six or so years ago, maybe a little more than that, um, where I woke up one day and all the things that used to give me joy in the work did not give me joy anymore winning a deal, like closing the big deal, the, the things that are supposed to make a sales leader, like, you know, I still really loved coaching my team and I liked helping them solve problems, but there just wasn't as much heat in the work for me anymore. It wasn't calling me. And I was really doing an inventory of like, gosh, I find I'm putting off all these things. I'm not engaged. I don't want to go. And I was sort of just, I don't know, depressed and not excited and maybe burned out if I'm mm -hmm. honest, mm -hmm. like Google burnout. And I was all those things. Mm -hmm. And then I spent a year trying to talk myself out of how that could be okay because I work at Google and it's an amazing place full of amazing people. How dare I be burned out when I have all this opportunity in front of me mm -hmm. and finally allowed myself to ask for some time off, which was probably the best gift I've ever given myself. Don't wait until you're 40 to say yes to a thing your heart really wants. Okay. Yeah. That's my other piece of advice. And you know, cause you were with me, we, um, I traveled across the country alone on my motorcycle, ostensibly to grieve the loss of my mother and um, journaled a lot, had an adventure in Europe, met up with Chantil in New York. We began the journey back. And on that journey back, I'll never forget this, Western Michigan, almost to the yeah. ferry to Milwaukee. I want to be really clear. We were on motorcycles. Yes. We, we were like in a car. <laughs> we, no, we, we were, were riding. <laughs> we were riding. I, I shit. Yeah, I shipped my motorcycle to New York and met Gina at the airport when she oh, yeah. was on her way back from Europe. And we had a, and it was Negroni week in New York. It was Negroni I remember, week. I remember week, that. By the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. Tell, tell this moment. Because the question I really, we had discussed as like our entry point was as a, as a leader, because you, as you said, were a sales leader for many, many years. And, and, and you were excelling and you were building essentially the way it works, right? Is you were building like a billion dollar, like multi-million dollar team of, of like accounts, right? And then leading people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. so no small thing. And so the question I was asking Gina, which I really wanted her to share with all of you is how do you know, like, what's the, what do you what are you listening for? What's the, what's that thing that's tugging on you? And, and she said it already. And I think it just bears repeating. And then I'll let her go on with her. This is like a coming to, you know, whatever moment, um, uh, was that, you know, she really felt like it, it was the list of things that she should do, but was putting off. Right. You talked about that in our conversation yesterday, like that being a really big indicator of yeah. like, why am I resisting? So we'll come back around to that. But but I really want us to explore that more. Like, how do I what do I listen for if I'm just embarking on this path? But we're in Michigan. And throttle wide open, brain wide open. The thing I love maybe about motorcycling the most, like it is a fully embodied activity. There is no room for any distraction on the bike because you don't have a car around you, right? If you take a corner and hit some gravel because you're not paying attention and wash out, bad things can happen. And so it is both a fully immersive experience and one that allows me to really, I don't listen to music. I Sometimes Chantel and I talk to each other on our helmet cam comedy hour, but That's right. we, we, we really, you know, you can feel the wind on your body. You can feel the change in the air of the temperature around you. You can feel the rain in your boots sometimes, um, <laughs> the, way the trees around you smell and, or the snow <laughs> or the snow. And, um, you know, it's just the idea that you're like fully in your environment. It's not like a capsule, like a car. And I find that to be some of the most, um, and it's active, and so I find it to be some of the best time where all of myself kind of clicks together and sometimes just sometimes releasing happens, like tears are just happening inside my helmet. Sometimes um, my heart is wide open. Sometimes I have intuition hits that are so big and huge. And because I can't distract myself from them, they fill me up in a different way than if I'm 
you know, I don't know, in the middle of a meeting or something and I can push through them or ignore them. And so there was just this moment where I was like, oh my God, it's not about selling ads. It's not, even though that's great and awesome. It's not about any of these things. It's about like these moments with teams and aligning them to create something bigger. It's about like change and it's about strategy and it's about like partnership. I didn't know at the time that what I was saying was it's about organization development, but I was like, it's this thing and I'm going to work with the leaders and what would it be like? And I said to Chantel, oh my God, like when I get back, I'm going to change careers. And, <laughs> and I did. And I had a whole nother, I have had a whole nother journey in this company where I get to spend all day long creating space for our leaders to dream together about what they want to accomplish with their organizations, to set strategy, to align themselves, to deliver on that strategy. We help them determine the shape of their organization. We help create, create containers for them to collaborate differently. And it's that generative space. And if I'm not in integrity with myself, if I'm not fully present in the moment, I can't help hold that container in a way that's going to be, um, what's the word, you know, uh, the sum is greater than its parts and sometimes synergy. Yeah. Or just that, um, and co-regulation, right? Settled bodies invite other bodies to settle. If the space isn't safe, then how can there be a dissenting voice that comes up? How can um, the only woman in the room full of men say a thing that needs to be said and be heard? And it's, it's through creating that safety and helping to create a different way of being. And I have to trust that I'm attending and can I name a thing and help make the room safer for other people. And so that practice of learning how to facilitate to trust my gut or my instincts when something's happening in the room and I need to cue the leader or I need to provoke or, or they're doing a dance they've been doing for years that they don't see. And I want to help them see, this is the thing you guys do. Do you see, do you feel, how does this feel right now? You just did a thing. You just interrupted her. What happened in your body the second before you did that? That, that is the work that I get really excited about. Yeah. So that's the work that you're doing now because you changed your job within Google. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, what was that? Were people, I have two questions. Were like, were people used to that kind of inquiry? Like, were they like, what the hell are you talking about? I have no idea. And, and how long did it take you to, to, have witnessed the experience inside of yourself enough Mm. to be able to say that to somebody, because we were talking about this in the last episode, like it takes time. Like you start with yourself Mm -hmm. and then you have to practice and develop language. And then you suck at it for a while. And your people Mm -hmm. are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So talk to us a little bit about, about that. Yeah. Or your, awkward at it and your attempts, you know, initially don't land in the way that you want them to. Um, You know, it started really with me being in that conflict inside myself. Like I should do this. I want to do this, or I should do this, but I feel called to do this. My gut and, you know, my vagus nerve was receiving information from my gut that was like, maybe I'm contracting up or I'm like, wow, just really not feeling as excited as I think I should feel about a thing. And being, being really slowing down and honoring the intelligence that's going on below my chin and inviting that in and leveraging that. And the more I do that, the more it feels integrated. Um, and then beginning to practice that externally, first with my team, with my boss, you know, it, escalating levels of danger, right? Like now we, we often consult with our senior most leaders and to speak truth in that space is way scarier than to speak truth in you know, with a couple of managers from lower down in the organization. So I think it's our journey as a practice, the practice I lead, there are 25 of us in this work, 27 of us. Um, and we speak a lot. We have a community where we come and we talk about what's the hard thing you said this week? How did it go? How did it feel? Trying to cultivate more communal capacity to be uncomfortable, to witness, to offer, sharing tips and tricks for how we intervene in skillful ways because um, the culture is is dynamic and fluid and it's created by the people in the room. And often um, 
you know, systems in power want to stay in power. And it's our role sometimes to help those things shift, but you have to practice doing something different. And sometimes leaders, as much as they want to, they need a little help learning how to practice a new thing. And it takes some bravery to no, just kind of like you were saying, oh, I sometimes I put my hand on someone's body and help them feel their shoulder. It's like that, like, oh, how about, um, and it's been, it's been a journey. I mean, we've been doing this now for almost five years. So, and, and the more we do it, I'm finding like the work is also growing. Like we're, we're navigating increasingly complex, dicier, bigger problem spaces with more senior leaders that are global. And they're, you know, we're, do, we're just, the work we're doing has become so impactful and it's really humbling to be invited to the table to help leaders when they're really grappling with hard, hard problems. And so I take, I take the team's um, ability to build that level of trust as a sign that we're showing up in ways that are supportive and helpful. And that feels very good. Um, but oof, it has not been easy. We started out doing icebreakers at the front of offsites, you know, like tell us about the first concert you went to and like trying to just create a little like connective glue between folks who don't work together all that well sometimes. So it's been a journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have, of course, like a whole host of questions, but uh, for you, but I want to, I want to just, and do you, are you having any, are you being tickled by anything that Gina is saying? You want to ask any questions? I would love to. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I'm curious about is within our industry, I find that, like, I'm kind of curious about the roadblocks. Like, when you're working, with leaders who, um, you know, cl- clearly their their role is not to teach others embodiment or teach others movement, right? Like when I'm speaking with sometimes professionals in my industry, a lot of times I'll get this pushback of like, well, my student can't do or my client can't do X, Y, or Z because they just don't have any body awareness. Or they just, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's a very fixed mindset around that, right? And it's sort of placing blame on the other. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, I imagine each industry has sort of these misinterpretations. Because in my mind, it's like, well, then how can we support and give opportunity for the people we're working with to give voice to their bodily experiences, (laughs) right? And it sounds like, so I'm just curious, what are some of the roadblocks that you see within your industry of people, you know, when you introduce this work um, or maybe like honoring or asking people to trust what's happening below their chin when it's above their chin that has probably gotten them very, very, very far? No question roadblocks. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think there, what's coming up for me is sort of two things, you know, one, as in most industries where deep technical expertise or deep, any kind of subject matter expertise, I mean, in Google, our, um, our currency in a lot of ways historically has been this deep, deep subject matter expertise, a hard skill, right? Like someone who can, um, I'm cribbing you Chantil, because I think all the skills are skills, but (laughs) Um, so you know the the ability to deeply code or to innovate on product or to really understand user design or whatever the thing is that's going to contribute to this product that's going to solve user problems globally right there's this prizing of that and and often um to the extent of other things if we hire really brilliant people who can build beautiful products that are that meet the user's needs like the rest will work itself out and as we've matured and we've gotten larger and more complex and our businesses have gotten more varied um, what I've noticed is that um, we haven't always done a great job slowing down to to help our leaders become more well-rounded and they want it and they're hungry for it and they're so busy and they're tackling such huge, huge problems. So sometimes it's just like empathy for the mindshare or the lack thereof of mindshare because they're under, like, you know, they're they're pushing forward the next thing. Like what's, you know, what's the pixel phone going to do or what's YouTube going to do or how am I going to solve this? You know, let me make sure that users are getting the right information when they search something in Ukraine. Like these are like weighty problems. And so um, sometimes it's just about remembering that you can meet them where they are in the moment and you can ask them what they're really wanting and then just help them see a path toward that in a bite-sized way. 
You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that I need to hold like my aspiration for them, like, and my, e- I don't need to hold it so tightly that I'm like, we should go over here. And they're like, not that we're in the land of incrementality, but I just think sometimes um, there's very real um, immunity change. If you, I know you've read a little bit of Bob Keegan's work. So this idea of like competing commitments and like, what are all the things that come up that keep us stuck? Even though we say we want to run every morning or practice Pilates three days a week or lose 10 pounds or meditate every day, we have other commitments that stop us from doing that, right? Well, the only time I could meditate is in the morning, but I'm also committed to taking my child to school every day. So I'm crashing into myself and I can't make both the things happen. What needs to shift? So this idea of like the com- under helping leaders see the meeting commitments comes up as a roadblock. Like what else are they really committing to that they might not even be aware of that's keeping them stuck? And then how might they have some compassion and do some play? Like, can we bring toys and play into the space rather than being shoulds and work and inviting a little bit more lightness and space into the conversation. So those are, that's kind of what was firing off for me as I was listening to your question. Yeah, it's a great question. And what what I, what makes me think of is it's a great question that all of us could be asking is what, what else am I choosing to be committed to? And, and I want to just like play the, what you said earlier, like the shadow side of this, which is we are really often committed to being right. We are often really committed to being in a place of power, right? Mm-hmm. Which goes hand in hand with being right, but like our identity of like, Anne and I were talking about this recently. And I know for me, you know, having to, not having to, deciding to relinquish my identity as a studio owner mm. back in 2013 was no easy task. And for a long time, I would say uh, upon reflection that I was more committed to that ego aspect and identity aspect than I was to actually having the thing that I said I wanted until I was so destroyed (laughs) and distraught that I had to let go of the commitment to the identity and so I just think that's really interesting. It's that, that subconscious deep level stuff that we don't, um, it's not like driving your kids to school. No, I'm being <laughs> a different business. Um, it's interesting. So, you know, something you said just now, Chantel, I think like a trap, it made me think of, so a woman I've been studying with for a number of years, her name is Jennifer Garvey Berger and her body of work is um, I think she worked with, and it's, in, it's based on some of Bob Keegan's work as well, but it's around this idea of constructive adult development theory. And she has a book called, um, I think it's called Mind Traps, or maybe it's Unlocking Mind Traps. Um, and it's this idea that in order to thrive in a complex environment, which this world is today, leaders need to start to be aware of the um, being right is one. Rightness is a mind trap. Like I'm trapped in this idea of like, I need to be right. And that stops me from being a leader in complexity, it stops me from perspective taking, it stops, stops me from co-creating with others. Um, there's a trap around agreement, which is a so, like a very social construct, right? We are social beings. We grew up in a, we evolved in an area where, in a time when we had to be tribal in order to survive, right? If you disagree that, or if you... Oh mm-hmm. yeah, sorry. Is that the same as being agreeable? <laughs> well... <laughs> Then you're going to, yeah, I see where you're going. We've had conversations about that, but go on. (laughs) Yeah. Just this idea of like being in agreement becomes a trap because maybe what's needed is actually provocative disagreement. But if I don't feel safe being disagreeable, then I'm stuck. Like, and I'm going to keep the system stuck. So it's just really interesting to look at like the way we organize ourselves sometimes for safety and how our egos show up or just how we're, you know, we're tribal. We, we are social beings and we evolved in a time when you had to have your tribe around you in order to not get eaten by a lion or like frozen in a blizzard or whatever. And and now like we, we don't necessarily always need shelter and food in a communal way, but we still need belonging. And those, um, those pieces are inside us and they run the ship a lot. And, yeah. you know, often when we begin to transcend that socialized place or we, we need to hold more complexity and be able to break the mind trap of agreement or break this concept of um, be of rightness or whatever the pieces are that we want to try to, like, um, snap through, 
I know for me, like you can have one foot in the, in the self-authored place. Like, Oh, I, I can see something different. The shoulds and what my heart wants. I want to move toward this, but I better not because my mom wants me to, or work thinks I need to, or, but I really want, and you can be like in this war with yourselves inside you for months, sometimes longer, where you just are so yearning for something different, but you feel like you can't. And the idea of the, the, like what to cultivate inside you to go like, I'm going to do the thing that I want to do and I'm going to own it and I'm going to stand in it. Um, that is like a hard, it's a hard thing to practice. And I think it, what got me interested in somatics from the concept of our work and transformational change is that I don't think it's something you can effort at just in your mind, mm-hmm. like to really understand what comes up in your body when those shoulds happen and we get and our amygdala gets hijacked and we think, oh my God, I'm going to get thrown off the island and I'm going to drown. I'm not going to be able to eat. I'm going to be homeless under a bridge because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get ostracized from the tribe if I break from this agreement. And so that shuts us down. And how do we cultivate enough internal safety, enough dignity and space to be able to feel like, oh no, I can take a stand on this thing and it's not going to kill me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels that existential. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, death of self. Yes. Death of self, right? Yes. Dissolution of ego. And so, and so I find the, I, the intersection of our developmental selves and like what's possible in transformation and leadership and change and the idea of like the somatic embodied leader that what's possible in that space, what we could create together in a space where we feel safe and we can co-create what that could mean for like equity and belonging and innovation it's so very exciting. So that's the space that I take my work. And, um, and it's been really scary too, because it's requiring me to be in a discomfort, to be in the yuck feelings sometimes, and to be an inquiry around why they come up and to see when I, oh my gosh, I think my team's going to think I'm crazy. And I get a little contracted and I get snappy with them. And then I'm not the leader I want to be. That's not, you know, my ego gets in the way. We're all imperfect. We're all human. Right. And so Anyway, I share all of that for, for all of us that are like leading or building business. There's those moments, I think, when the little voice inside us wants something more and then all the shoulds come up and we shut it down. And like, what would it be po- like, what would you need to do to be able to actually like consciously step into that new space? And, and, and what do you need to practice to feel like you can do that yourself and then support others in doing that? Yeah, so I think this is really important and I want to I want to land here for a moment on the the idea of practice. Um and but I I do want to take a second because we love resources. <laughs> we're we're an audience of mostly, you know, educators or, or leaders in some fashion. So repeat Jennifer's full name and yes. what you think the name of the book is and okay. then let's talk a little bit about Practice, practices. So Jennifer's name is Jennifer Garvey Berger. She's phenomenal. Um, And she, you could Google her and she has a bunch of talks on YouTube about taking through different concepts, but the books, there are several, Um, but the one I was referencing is Unlocking Leadership Mind Traps. And I think it's a really handy way to actually think about things to practice to help overcome some of those pieces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I really, really wanted to be able to say to everybody today, here's a thing you can do and here's a place you can start. So thank you for that. Um, I I always love the book reference. I know, I know. I think I have one of her books that you gave me, actually. Does it have a fishbowl and a fish? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not Mind Traps. That's the other one, um, which I'll remember in a minute for the show notes. Anne's in on mute, but she's having a look on her face. You can unmute yourself. <laughs> Do you want to unmute yourself? Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, changing on the job is the fishbowl. Yes, one. that's the one. Yeah, that's the that's the one. Yeah, funny. Of course we. I know. I know. It's so cool. Um, I think my mind trap. I don't know if this is actually a thing, but it feels like a thing is needing to know of us to have this conversation with Anne all the time, right? Is because I'm inclined toward, I have such a, like a, I'm like, I don't want to be contained by anything. So I desire order 
which is an interesting thing I'm learning about myself with Anne's help and the work we do with our really special mentor. And, um, and then I just also am really aware these days that I, my mind trap is I need to know, don't leave me in the dark. Tell me, I need to know what's going on. And I get so irritated because my son, Charlie is like this. What, where, where are you going? What time are you going to be back? How long are you going to be gone? What are you doing? Who's going with you? What are we doing after that? I'm like, enough. <laughs> but I'm starting to have a greater appreciation <laughs> for that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and sometimes in complexity, things are not knowable. Yes, I know, which I think is why why it's a trap for me. It's a real trap. And it means that, <laughs> I'm sure you both have had this experience with me, so I'll apologize um, is it, I can just beat a thing to death. Like I can't let it go until I understand it. Like, so it's not just knowing it's like, I really need to know what do you mean and what is it that you expect? <laughs> and sometimes I will have people, other people in my life will say like, you need to just let it go. I'm like, I really feel like I can't. <laughs> so in any case, I don't want to derail us, but needing to know feels like a mind trap for for me. Um, we have just about 15 minutes left. So let's talk about practices. Um, one, I want to preface this by saying that, uh, because I think it will be helpful for the listeners and you can, you can edit me, Gina, please. Um, when you came back from this epic sabbatical and you decided to change jobs within Google, mm-hmm. you, you also then made some really incredible choices that supported your embodied development. You studied at the Struzzi Institute mm-hmm. and you you began to do all of this adult development theory work um, of Keegan's and, and beyond. So you've really chosen to, do, as you do with all things, like go, just go in deep, <laughs> which, and and you've come out with a lot of tools. And I feel like you've been a little, you've been on like a, rocket ship journey. And Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, the journey will be much slower because they're not, they're maybe not going to have access to those resources, but I know that you have a lot of tools. And so can you share with us some of the early practices um, and maybe even some of the like simple ones that, that like have stayed with you that support you more regularly that, that people might be able to you know, consider for themselves. Absolutely. And I'd be curious to hear from you too, as well, and what your practices are. I think there, there are sort of two things that come up for me. One is the practices that we do to stay in wholeness with ourselves. Like what are the things we do every day to build resilience, to build capacity? Like I think about capacity as a way, how am I going to be, how much can I be with before I'm out? And, yeah. and for me, um, I grew up in a house where feelings were not allowed to be felt. I had a very ill mom and I was an only child. And so it was like, button it all down, push it down, much like you were speaking about earlier, Chantil, and perform an effort. And it's like all about being perfect and performative so that I could keep her calm so that the world would be easy. And so the habit that I get into, if I'm not really careful, is I feel nothing below my chin. And I am powering through and I'm not slowing down to bring people along with me. And I'm just like getting shit done. And it is very efforty and a little anxious and kind of leaned forward and lifted up off my feet. And I know and nothing I, about that. <laughs> and I, I had no idea that I was running around the world in this shape with my teeth clenched for like the first 30 years of my life. But that is real. And in moments, like when I first left home and I got to college and I found yoga and meditation and I found these blissful, like 30 minute moments of like falling in or like starting to run and finding the moments in my body where I could feel my muscles move and I could feel, really feel my breath. And there were these brief moments of becoming in and then it would be too much. It would be too much sensation for me to feel. And I couldn't stay in. And it was like, let me go back up. Let me just... I can't feel all this. It's going to kill me. It's going to destroy me. Mm. And I really think the motorcycle trip, because it was, there was nothing else. It was me on the bike in my body 
breathing, moving, with just, just this, shifted something in me to start to be able to like stay with. And when I came back from that trip, ever since I've been back from that trip, though, my, my morning practices of meditating and running and stretching and even just like breathing, like breathing and noticing where there's tension or noticing my heartbeat or just feel like feeling my circulation move around, like as weird as that sounds, um, really are those ways that I can stay in. And th- so those are foundational to me in a way of just like nourishment so that I could then have enough of a, of a base to start to practice new things that are scary. Like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like practicing saying the hard thing in the room or some of the other things I'm practicing that are tools or toys in my toy box to do my work. Um, and sometimes I still feel that like come up and in the moment I can notice it and go, okay, let me take a breath. Where are the exits? (laughs) Right. Like, am I safe? Yes. I could go out that door. I could go out that door. There are my keys. No one is in the room with me. It's totally fine. And so like from a simple, super simple practice, it's like take a breath and orient orient yourself in the room. And those two things together often can bring your heart rate down, can give you a minute to take a deep breath and kind of like let the vagus nerve kind of, you know, let the amygdala kind of let all of it settle just a little when it's like, oh shit, no, it's okay. No, it's okay. So that's, that was maybe a lot, but those are some of the things. Yeah, no, I think it's really relevant because um, what you said about like, so that you can do things that are a little scarier or riskier. So that makes me go back and say, okay, so the invitation is to anchor yourself in activities that feel safe and that preferably are body-based. Right. So if you and this is a great anecdote for like movement, like exercise, right, do something you love. Like if you don't like to go to the gym, ride your bicycle. If you don't like to ride your bicycle, take walks. If you're not into taking walks, get on your paddleboard. If you like don't force yourself to do the things that you hate and are resistant. Right. Like we have to create a sense of that that's I think part of resiliency is creating mm-hmm. an awareness of what are the physical activities or any activities it doesn't have to be physical but you know that that are are comfortable are are safe so I really appreciate that so the question and invitation for all of you listening is what am I am I doing anything physically that really feels good hmm. period like you know, I used to hate going to the gym. And so I didn't go because I was like, F everything about that. I don't want any of that. I don't want the environment. I don't want the people. I don't want the feeling of being there. And now I love it. I go every other day. I mean, but, but I wouldn't have gone before. You know, so what are you doing that feels really not just nurturing, but safe? And then breathing, just taking a breath and orienting yourself in the room, I think is really powerful. Yeah, that's really powerful. I'm curious, Anne, because you've said before that as a as a movement teacher, as a someone who teaches body awareness, that you didn't feel like you were particularly embodied. Can you speak to that and like what you have done? Yeah. So from my understanding of body awareness, the ability to, you know, feel where your body is in space, that more proprioceptive ability, that exteroceptive ability is, was something that as a Pilates instructor, I got really good at and really good at seeing in others and supporting them so that they could get themselves in a, in a, in a position that they felt safe. Because if I told them their body or their joint was in neutral and they had injuries in that joint or that space, and then they felt safe. And so it was like the proprioception was sort of a way in which I was using the skill set of Pilates to feel safe. Yet that has nothing to do with heartbeat perception. That has nothing to do with vagus nerve perception. 
that's a totally different skill set of body awareness. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a yoga instructor. I can't be like 23 and teaching people about spirituality and yoga. Like, you know, this is like my, you know, small, younger, immature self. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't say that now, but at the time when I was teaching, I'm like, but I know the science and I can tell them where to get in the right spot in their body and and help them. Cause I was very, very driven to support people in pain because I had come to Pilates in pain. Um, and I was, I, I think I was quite good at it, <laughs> but what, what I think is missing is I never understood that there was a whole other way of perceiving one's body that might be more, you might find more within a yoga practice where you're more attentive to the system level relaxation. Um, and so I feel like what have I done to shift that? Well, A, was I, I got more knowledge, which was, you know, above my chin to say, oh, just understanding proprioception is not the thing that makes my body feel safe or others. Although maybe perhaps mm-hmm. I got my other student to feel safe. It might've been because they trusted in me. Because of. Because and of. the co-regulation not necessarily yes, because yes. their body was in the right place. Yeah. And so wow, I, that's a huge, let me just, yeah, that's huge. Anne. that's well, we huge. Nerd out on this intersection here. Right. Oh my God. Seriously. Yeah. That's, that's huge. So let's pause for a moment and, and say what we're talking about right now. And you've heard the word a couple of times. You've heard it from Anne and I a fair bit, which is co-regulation. This is the, unconscious physiological communication of our nervous systems when we are in relationship to each other. I experience it in a very distorted way through text messaging. Mm -hmm. I experience it in a more healthy way, seriously, through phone calls. I experience Mm -hmm. it in a deeper way if we're in video. So it's happening and Zooming and FaceTiming and yada, yada. And then most lit up in person. But mm-hmm. I love that you just had, you just said that because I want all of the movement teachers and leaders and everybody who is in relationship with another parent person, parents, siblings, it's not, it's not necessarily what you say or what you do. It's the state of yourself and whether or not the other person feels safe with you. Anne, I just think that's like, uh, we should broadcast that. (laughs) It's just like, maybe they felt, maybe they were not in pain or felt good because they actually just trusted you and were able to do a thing. It wasn't actually about what they did with their body. I mean, sure, it's probably a little bit about that, but yeah, that's huge. And the skill allowed me to trust myself. Yeah. So good. I'm really interested Mm -hmm. in what lit me up a lot and what got me excited. And I know we're running out of time, but I loved how you started, Gina, speaking about how everything that you have is already inside of you. And I think that Mm -hmm. sometimes as lifelong learners or as people who like to learn or keep going, that there's this feeling that it's outside of us or it's around the next bend. Like that's, I think that that's something that I struggle with. Like the answer's right. It's it's just right. Oh, just it's right there. Um, But I was maybe curious how, how you've seen that show up in your work or, or, or how, or what, what practice can we, can we do? What's a baby practice, a little mini practice for, for that trust that it's within Mm. ourselves because that was Mm. powerful. I, this one is really, this one is, um, really hits me here because I find most of the time, and there are lots of gender identities, but I coach a lot of women and I find that on the spectrum, I experience this most with women. So just offering this, like, 
we don't ever think we have enough. We always think when this happens, I'll be ready. When that happens, I'll be ready. When I hit this plateau or this certification or that, or when after I finish this book or this workshop. And ultimately I'm talking to these women who are brilliant and they're capable of so much more than, and, and everything they're striving to do, they're capable of. And what's getting in their way is like not honoring and letting it forward. Like they're slowing themselves down or they're holding themselves back. And I see it in my practice with my, with my colleagues where, you know, we, we get a little intimidated because the client is, you know, this important senior leader. And we think, who am I to hold the space to ask them a question or to consult with them in this way? And there's this um, thing we speak about um, called the conscious use of self. And that is very much what you were just talking about. It's like, are you able to hold the space, be present to the room, attend to the dynamics, create the conditions for what needs to emerge to emerge. And that might be a skillful nudge to a leader. It might be the asking of a question. It might simply be the way you hold your energy. And that's not a thing you get from a book. That's just a thing you get by dropping into your body and being present to the other bodies that are with you and facilitating a process. And so I often say like everything you need is right here because you just need to consciously bring you to the intervention, to the room, to the energy that you're, you know, that you're trying to help the leader create or the intervention that you're holding, right? You're, you are holding or creating an intervention to bring yourself into it. Sure. Frameworks, of course, like we need to have baseline skills, right? Everyone that's here has the baseline skills for the work they're doing, right? We don't want to be out of our depth and harm someone. That's not what I'm suggesting. Like don't go do open heart surgery if you're not an open heart surgeon. Okay. That is not what I'm talking about. But when we're talking about being able to take our skills and whether we're ready to use them and whether we're ready to like, yeah, you have everything you need. You don't need to read another book. Just start to play, start to like mm. let yourself unfold. It's so, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I used to talk about that in a way that was around confidence, right? Like fluid confidence, like trust who you are and that you will that you will be able to navigate based on your mm-hmm. innate capacity. Not, yep. it's not always, you have lots of tools, you have lots of skills. It's not always dependent on who knows the most in the room. And what, what I always like to say is Usually like, it's listen, not. yeah, I mean, and it's just like, at some point we all know the same and, and it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just like, it does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. Well, I really feel like this might have to be a series. This is fun. <laughs> so my might... first podcast. I know. I'm so excited. Well, let it be <laughs> let it be the first of many because there were a couple of other things even that we didn't get to to dive into that we had discussed in our multiple kind of pre-podcast sessions, but I just honor you and love you and appreciate you and I'm so grateful that you were here with us and um, love being in conversation with you and with Anne and sharing mm. with our community and really look forward to more conversations because I know our listeners are going to want more of you. I feel certain wow. of that. Thank you for having me. It was an honor and I always learn from you and it's a pleasure to spend some time with you and get to know you a bit. Anne. I look forward to continued exploration. Thank you. Yeah. All right, ladies, we'll have a fabulous rest of your Thursday. (laughs) I almost forgot what day it was. All right, lots of love. Bye. Bye. Well, as always, we'd like to say a big thank you for your time and attention. We know how precious it is. We love hanging out with you and serving this amazing community of inspired leaders and educators who desire to make a bigger impact and bring their whole selves to this awesome party. We hope you are leaving feeling a little inspired, refreshed, maybe even excited, and a little bit giddy. The absolute sweetest and most powerful thing you can do to support this not-for-profit, minimally sponsored podcast is to tell us how much you love us, and there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us your comments and reviews on iTunes or YouTube. Both are better. And if you didn't know we have a YouTube channel, now you do. Or by sending us the occasional love letter to embodiedbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. 
Until next time, we hope you'll keep asking, how do I want my business and my life to feel?